That Startup Show is generously supported by Launch Victoria and the Australian Government. Hello and welcome to season two of That Startup Show. My name is Benjamin Law and I'm thrilled to be here to guide and celebrate your startup success with my fellow host, Ray Johnston. Or to mercilessly mock the circus that is startup life. Occasionally. <laughs> Tonight's episode is all about the legends of the startup world and the myths. Aren't myths and legends the same thing? Well, that is a common myth conception, Ben, <laughs> which means it's complete BS. Whereas a legend is only partial BS. Basically, yeah. Look, everyone wants to be legendary, but it's probably best not to be totally mythical. So is the startup story a fairy tale where you all live happily ever after? Or is it more like Oedipus Rex, where you destroy your parents and end up gouging out your own eyes? Let's hope it doesn't come to that. Your eyes, people. Are you really going to risk your eyes? They don't have to gouge out their eyes, Ben. It's a metaphor. The eyes of the soul gouge right out of your soul. It's easy to believe the myths spread about startups, especially the ones that say you're going to make gazillions overnight. Though if you do want to be rich, try investing in my cryptocurrency, the Ben coin. Is that a myth? Or will it become legend? <laughs> if you want to join in the conversation, you can do it by tweeting us at TSU Show or use the hashtag That Startup Show. Our first guest once had a career advising Australian tech and media companies with an expertise in growth and capital raising. Don't we all wish we knew him then? But these days, he's the CEO of the world's largest graphic design marketplace with offices in Oakland, Melbourne and Berlin. From 99designs, please welcome the legendary Patrick Llewellyn. Our next guest is from the US of A, and to put it mildly, would be best described by their president as huge. Her Twitter bio reads, grumpy lady of tech, and with 1.3 million followers, she's the most legendary grumpy lady of tech around. She's the co-founder of Recode and has interviewed everyone from Mark Zuckerberg to Bill Gates to Steve Jobs to Barack Obama, which means she has interviewed my entire mood board except for RuPaul. Direct from Silicon Valley to you, please welcome the almost mythical Kara Swisher. Welcome, folks. What a way to reboot that startup show. So to kick things off, we're going to start with a short warm-up game to find out how well Kara and Pat know their entrepreneurs. It's a game we like to call Legend or Myth. So we're going to ask you whether the following tales about the world's biggest entrepreneurs are ju like justly legendary or plain mythical. So uh, first, let's test your buzzers. Uh, Patrick? Yes, that's a very sweet sound. Cara? Uh, that's an even sweeter <laughs> sound. Thank you. So this just, seems unfair. It does. Cara has interviewed everyone. And, yeah, no, so I'm just Everything's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You're, I in promise. A, you're in a safe space. Yeah. So buzz in and tell us whether the following are myth or legend. First up, 
Bill Gates once said 640K is more memory than anyone will ever need on a computer. True. No, it wasn't. He said it. He did. That's actually a myth. So question two. Last in kindergarten, Oprah wrote to her teacher and said, I don't think I belong here because I know a lot of big words. The teacher immediately agreed and skipped her to the first grade. Myth or legend? Legend. Legend. That is technically true, making it part of the O-fable and one of my favourite things. And if I could, I would give you a car right now and you a car and you get a car and you get a car and you get a car, but I don't have any cars, so none of you get cars, I'm sorry. It's a sad day. Now for our final question, Elon Musk was such a big fan of the X-Men that he named his child after Magneto's alter ego, Max Eisenhart. I don't know. Someone guess. Someone guess. Myth. Of course, that is a myth. It was, in fact, uh, the head of the X-Men, Professor Xavier, although it is possible that a child who can read Elon Musk's mind might destroy the world. Or maybe he'll take us to Mars in a self-driving rocket with the moon as a petrol station. He will do that, you know, just as soon as he gets home from the cave. So that's the end of the game, and the winner is... Unimportant, but thank you both for your excellent <laughs> quiz personship. What is the most enduring misconception or startup myth that you've encountered, Cara? Uh, I'd say the most enduring startup myth mm. is that they're actually smart. Oh, you mean <laughs> like the, to start- everyone in the, room? the no. startup entrepreneurs are yeah. smart, or that they have to be smart? No, that they're as smart as you think. That they have all the answers. Mm-hmm. I think they become smarter as they get wealthier, and you give them more credit. Okay. Is it a prerequisite to making a startup successful to have those smarts in the first place? No. Right. You can develop them. I think luck has a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I think myth, myth develops afterwards that okay. we tell ourselves about these people. But in a lot of cases, it's just, it's just the luck. What about you, Patrick? What's one of the most enduring misconceptions or myths about startups? Uh, that launching's the hardest part. I actually think every stage is hard. You sort of, you get the launch done and then you're into the next phase. Scaling's tough. Every step's tough. So So it's an endurance race and every step will just be as hard as the last. Yeah, exactly. I'd I'd like to tell it some other way, but it it hasn't been my experience anyway. Fantastic news. Execution is the most important part of what everybody's doing and timing. Yeah, I mean, that's right. You know, I think the other myth may be like money solves everything. Right, like if I raise more, I spend more, right. I make more, this is an important aspect of it, but ultimately I don't actually think that's the important part either. It's actually all about how you engage with the community, you know, where you come out of it, where your staff come out of it. You, you're, like, you're trying to create something enduring yeah. and money's not necessarily the thing that brings endurance. eBay never spent all its money. Pinterest didn't spend all its money at all, yeah. in fact. They just had it. But that was different. Right. And can having a lot of money at the outset sometimes be a liability that yeah. this is money I mean, to burn? You know, you, I can go into companies and I see some of the offices and if they're too overdone, which many of them are, I worry for the companies when they're, if the kombucha is too fresh. So. <laughs> so it is actually exactly like Silicon Valley, the TV show. Then. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. No, Fantastic. it's a lot more than you think. <laughs> That's all shocked. we need to do. Just watch Silicon Valley and not make any of those mistakes. Yeah. But now we're going to dive a bit deeper with our panelists and get their take on this week's theme. 
So, Cara, in recent times, we've been confronted with some brutal realities about what were some of our favourite tech companies. Mm -hmm. What have we learned? And more specifically, what can startups learn from those lessons? Well, I mean, you're talking about Facebook and privacy and all the things that are going on, the the Russian hacking. Mm -hmm. It's not hacking. It wasn't hacking. Um, I think we become aware of what they've been doing since they were born. These companies have always been sucking your information in. They've been using it. They've been misusing it. They've been... um, taking advantage of it. And this is not something new for Facebook. Facebook throughout its history has had a history of privacy violations. And so the question is, if you're a startup, how ethically uh, ethically do you want to behave mm-hmm. um, as a startup? And I think most startups, their businesses are to suck in information and regurgitate it. And so I, I don't, th- that's the deal. I mean, two issues that have really come to the forefront are yeah. ethics and right. also transparency. And right. take, a, take a company like Facebook, trying to rehabilitate its image now with a campaign, right. emphasizing those two things. Are they worth emphasizing from the start when you start making a, a, a startup yourself? Well, one would assume, but if your business is advertising your bus- and you can suck in information, your business is sucking in people's information and and using it. And so that is your business. There's, Facebook is what it is. And to pretend otherwise is to, is to tell yourself a lie. And so every click that you do for them makes them money. You are, you are the, they don't like to hear this, but you are the product. If you're fine with that and fine with the privacy implications and you trust these companies like Google, Facebook, um, Twitter, all of them, that's a question. Twitter just got rid of 70 million accounts that were fake. Why didn't they do that last year? Why didn't they do that the year before? Why? Because now they're getting pressure. So you have to wonder what they're doing wrong now. Mm. The revelations about Cambridge Analytica and Facebook were a massive scandal when they happened. Right. But at the same time, Facebook is such a massive behemoth. So does something like that scandal actually do lasting damage or... Is Facebook a company that's largely impervious to damage? Well, the stock is still as high as it ever was. Mark Zuckerberg is as rich as he ever was. I don't. I think people are using it. They're show, seeing no lack of usage. I think what's going to kill Facebook is what kills every other tech company over history, which is lack of innovation, uh, a better product that comes along, the next big thing. I mean, we once thought Microsoft was going to rule the world, and they aren't. So who, there's, gonna, there's a company right now that exists somewhere in the world in the mind of someone that's going to replace Facebook. You think that's there already somewhere, but you don't yeah. see, you don't know what that company is and we don't know what it is yet. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe it'll be an AR, VR. You just don't know where, what, the, what, what the revelation is going to be. And I think that's what's exciting about tech. At the same time, um, this is a company that there's never been a company that has touched more people across the globe than this one. This is really, it's the entire human race uh, is somehow affiliated with either Instagram or Facebook or WhatsApp or uh, Oculus maybe someday. So it's it's quite a powerful company, but we'll see uh, where it goes. Some people in the U.S. think it should be broken up because of that, but we'll see. Probably not. What would it be broken up by? Laws? If you had politicians with any backbone, but we don't. <laughs> and we're all, I'm so sorry for Donald Trump. But then, <laughs> but then you, you gave us Rupert Murdoch, who created Donald Trump, yes. so it's an even... It's an even <laughs> Thanks, Australia. <laughs> we can say nothing because we want to continue to have jobs in media. Yeah. <laughs> he, he came to the U.S. as an immigrant, right? Mm. Yeah. right. It's your problem now. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Well, the world's problem, really. Uh, Pat 
Patrick, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned throughout your journey that you could pass on? And I want you to bear in mind that I will be fact-checking everything that you tell me on Wikipedia, which is very reliable. Yes. Uh, <laughs> look, for me, uh, I mean, the power of observation has been really important. Uh, you know, where our founding story is a little different in that we observed a community that was in a forum doing what we do. Um, we're able to take that community and work with it, and create you know a pretty amazing platform. Um, and now I see, you know, observation powering everything that we do within our organisation. You know, I was taught very early on about the power of listening. You know, my first job out of university was a sales and marketing cadetship, and I was taught that you know the first thing, selling's all about this, not about this. And uh, you know, I think that's been really valuable to me in business. You know, the reality is everything we do is driven by our community, our customers, and the way in which we observe them, observation of competitors, um, and then listening, you know, most importantly, listening to the team that works for us because they're the ones who, you know, power the business. You know, we're actually, there's no uh, evil genius at 99designs. We're actually <laughs> only as good as the sum of our parts, and so that is the community and then everyone who, who works together. Do you think that's a bit of a common problem, the, uh, the the talking without listening? Because there is so many people out there with great ideas. They've come up with the best idea ever, but sometimes there's a bit of a lack of sounding out as to whether the audience for it exists. Does, does that audience, does that community really have to come first? I mean, understanding your audience is at the heart of all problems. And I think most of the time we hear of startups, the ones who aren't successful, the ones who don't know what their audience is, right? They are trying to solve a problem that may not exist other than for them. Or, and so for us, you know, that's why we were lucky because we could see in this audience interacting naturally, which we were then be able to take. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think not listening, uh, not sharing early, you know, like I think particularly for the Australian audience, you know, one of the things that Cara's seen in the Valley and I saw firsthand in the Valley is everyone's keen to share with you their ideas. Whereas here, I still get told that I need to sign an NDA before someone will actually tell me what they're doing, um, which at that point I turn off and say, thanks. <laughs> but like, so I think that notion of the idea behind the Valley and the sharing is you start, your, your ideas will get tested a lot more robustly. And so you can actually start to learn the pitfalls of what it is you're trying to attempt. Because Kara said it best, you know, execution is everything, you know, and ideas come and go um, pretty readily and freely. And there's a million amazing ideas out there that are still to be executed, but it's that execution part that comes. And I think that comes mostly from observation and listening. I mean, listening is one thing, but then to be able to respond to it and then, as you say, execute it is another that requires agility and that requires resources. So how easy is it to be responsive and to be agile? I think it's a constant challenge. You know, I think it's hard. You know, we, we obviously set out plans every year. You create a plan to break it, you know, and so that agility is part of that, but that comes from being aware enough to observe. Um, you know, I... Funding's an issue for everyone, like resources. So you actually always are trying to make the best decisions of what you have, right? So how am I going to put, how is this team going to be best deployed? How do we take advantage of our workforce or the capital that we have at hand? And so that's, you know, prioritization. And, and then it's that on the, it's actually what you're talking about, real agile uh, listening, action, observation, and then trying to make something happen. Do you think there needs to be more collaboration between startups? 
I think it's getting better. I think, you know, I think the fact that we've got places like this and accelerators throughout Melbourne, we're seeing community hubs like the one that I participate in in Richmond. You know, the fact is we're starting to, to get there. Um, there's great programs like Startmate, you know, taking young Aussie entrepreneurs to the States and immersing them in environments there. So I think, I mean, I'm as enthusiastic as I've ever been. You also um, have the same problems. You all have the same problems. Correct. And That's so right. if, if, if entrepreneurs can share those problems, they're often common. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. probably a list of 50, right? And it's the same issue over and over. And so rather than replay the record over and over again, uh, it's better to have groups of people participate. Yeah, and I, and I think we're lucky. You know, I think our, our community is evolving. There is a maturity. There's some really successful entrepreneurs in this city, you know, uh, in cities throughout Australia. We get access to them and they provide advice. And then to Cara's point, we learn from each other. I mean, that's the important part, right? So folks, one enduring idea about entrepreneurship, perhaps perpetuated by certain TV shows, not us, is you need decent investment to start to become a unicorn. I mean, how true is that? How fundamental is that significant uh, first investment in making a startup grow? You know, in Silicon Valley, there's so much money. I mean, there's, there's, I, we use the expression, there's not enough rat holes to shove the money down. And so there's not, it's just, there's so much money. Capital is not the problem. It's never the problem. But when that money gets burnt up, do people feel burnt? Are they less willing to trust uh, to invest again? No, no, no. There, Travis Kalanick has a new fund. Like, no, no, not at all. I think people, uh, I think capital is the last problem you have. One is, the first problem you have is talent, getting the right people. Uh, obviously, product is critical, although you can have a great product, and if it's badly executed, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think product and people are the two key things. Everything else doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Does that resonate with you, Patrick, that that initial significant investment is not necessarily a prerequisite to success for a startup? Well, absolutely. I mean, we bootstrapped for three years, right? You look at Australia, you know, some of Australia's arguably our most successful company, Atlassian, was bootstrapped, right? Mike and Scott didn't take money for 12 years or something. So, like, I think that that does resonate. I don't think in Australia there is not a lot. There's not nearly the same level of capital. No, not the same number, but I don't think it's money that... No, I mean, it's always execution, right? It's, yeah. You know, and, and, and access to talent is, is critical to that. You know, we have a... Uh, a, a good talent pool here. You know, we've always had our engineering team here in Melbourne, but it's it's getting harder and harder, yeah. you know, and I think we're seeing, you know, policies not necessarily supporting that, right? Like, ultimately, we want to get everyone in here who is smart as possible and have them stay. You have you know? to have a strong immigrant policy. I think, our con- I think the United States is going to be badly affected mm. by these appalling immigration policies by the Trump administration. All it says, it says to the United States, we're closed for business. Um, and does that mean other countries will take advantage of that? Either the people will stay in those countries or they'll go back. I mean, look at China. They're going crazy with entrepreneurship there uh, because the government is being incredibly supportive of it. Now, it's a very different system there, obviously, and val- some of the values that, you know, around surveillance and everything else are troubling. But, um, but you know, when you don't have an... Cultures die because of lack of diversity. That's how innovation dies. And so you have to wonder... Uh, you know, the U.S. leads the world in innovation over the past 10, 15 years. What's going to happen, uh, whether it's going to be in Tel Aviv or which is also entrepreneurial or India or um, or anywhere else. But uh, I can sure tell you the messages the United States is sending right now 
um, and the attacks on the tech industry by, by this administration says to me that, that there's a lot of opportunity elsewhere in the world for entrepreneurship, for sure. And that's all we have time for tonight. Will you please give it up for our panel, the one and only Patrick Llewellyn and the legendary Kara Swisher. <laughs> week, jump on your CubeSats, crack open a space beer and get ready to go boldly to a galaxy far, far away as we explore the furthest realms of space tech. We'll see you on the launch pad then.